Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. We were just a little off, but I thought at the most important times we settled in, took a deep breath, and I just, um, you know, I continue to be impressed with just the resolve, the resilience, and the in the cool, calm, collected, com- collective competitor that Matthew Stafford is in crunch time. The things that we have to we have to fix, we have to clean up, we got to get better at, and we got to make sure that we don't, you know, we don't allow that to happen again because the second half was a big explosion for them offensively, and and uh, uh, we really were in way better control of that, and really disappointed that we let that happen. You know, I think the fun thing is is being four and one and knowing that you know our best game of football hasn't been played yet you know there's a lot of things that we can clean up i can clean up i know we can as a as an entire team so uh you know there's nothing's easy in this league you know you you earn every single one you get especially going on the road against a really good football team like seattle some may say seattle really isn't a good football team right now that's part of what we're going to break down today last year they started five and oh Today, they're two and three after last night's loss at home to the Los Angeles Rams. Peter King, Mike Florio for the next two hours here on this Friday edition of PFT Live, getting you ready for week five, but also plenty to discuss, Peter, coming out of last night's game. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Mike. Well, I I just keep thinking about the Seattle Seahawks and thinking about how, what must Cam Chancellor think, think when he watches this team? What is... What does Richard Sherman think and and uh, and KJ Wright and all that? And KJ Wright wasn't on this team very long ago. But this is not your big brother's Seattle Seahawks. It's just well, they can't play defense. They just they just what is, can't play what defense. What is Bobby Wagner thinking? He's still there. Yeah, that's he's a good looking one. around. Yeah. He's looking around. Yeah. What the hell happened? The uniforms are all the same. <laughs> Where'd everybody go who could play defense? You know, Peter, I don't know that five weeks is deep enough into the season to justify projecting how things are going to end, but they are on pace to give up more yards than any team in the history of the NFL in a single season. Uh, especially with the 17th game, that that's one of the records that will fall. But but still, it's it's uh, amazing that a Pete Carroll coach team, the Seattle Seahawks, would be in contention to have a historic, historically bad defense. 
and look, that stat, I saw that stat last night and I said, don't just stop it with that. You know, stop it with saying they're going to give up the most yards ever. Well, no crap, Sherlock. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to be the most this year uh, because of the 17th game. Just tell me how many, how many, uh, you know, how many yards are they going to give up per game? That is the relevant and the only significant stat about this. But Mike, I, I just think when I look at this team, they almost, almost got saved by that Carlos Dunlop batted pass last night. You know, late in the game, Matthew Stafford, he's just got to convert once to, uh, you know, to prevent Seattle from having a chance. And look, Geno Smith did fine, but once uh, the Rams settled into a just, you know, a deep, uh, you know, a sort of a, a deep defense that they're not going to let anything happen in front of them. You know, that was the end of it for, for Geno Smith. And, and look, how hard must it have been for him? You know, he's thrown two passes in the last 16 years or, you know, whatever the ridiculous <laughs> stat was that he had last night. But, you know, he did great when he came in and, and led him on the 98-yard drive. Uh, so, you know, he did a lot more than anybody could reasonably have expected of him. But, you know, a defense with Jalen Ramsey in the back end and, and Aaron Donald in the front end and some pretty good players around him, they're not going to let that happen three times. By the way, I have some additional information on the stat at which you scoffed. The Seahawks have given up 451 yards per game. The Saints of 2012, who set the record single season for most yards allowed, averaged 440 per game. So even with a 17th then that's, game. Then that's, a va- so that's far. the valid stat. That's yes. the valid stat. You know. 451 it, is a lot to give up per game ridiculous. for five games. It's ridiculous. You know, and even if, even if, and, and look, last night, the Seahawks, I thought in the first half, they went toe-to-toe with them, you know, played very, very well, and then they just got absolutely strafed in the second half. The one thing I like looking at that game last night from the Seattle standpoint is that you know, they showed that they have good depth on offense, even when they're missing Chris Carson. You know, they can be okay on okay to to you know to to good on offense and good enough. But that defense will be the ruination of them. It'll be the ruination of Ken Norton as defensive coordinator, I'm sure. And you know, who knows what it what ends up happening with Pete Carroll. But I do think that, you know, Carroll ha- probably has enough goodwill built up. But at some point, the Seahawks are going to have to figure out how they are going to rebuild this one's proud defense. Well, Peter, it also could be the final nail in the Russell Wilson coffin in Seattle. Not that that is the best you know, you called me Mr. Metaphor last week. I could have come up with something better than that because Russell Wilson very much alive, but not in Seattle. And we saw what happened last year. He's doing his damnedest to downplay. It was funny last night on the pregame show. They had a sit down with him and Aaron Andrews and he downplays, downplays, downplays. And then they cut to Greg Olson who said, nah, <laughs> I was there. If, if he doesn't think everybody's all in, to win championships, he's going to want to go somewhere else. Where Peter, Peter, if your defense is giving up 451 yards a game, it's hard 
for Russell Wilson to come to the conclusion that everyone's all in to win championships. Yeah, and I think what's going to happen at the end of this year is going to be an interesting little choice for John Schneider and Pete Carroll. And that is, what do you do with a quarterback who may be extremely unhappy, but who also might be able to bring you a treasure trove of picks to rebuild your team? Now, I don't think anything will be as valuable to the Seahawks as Russell Wilson over the next 10 years. But we have seen quarterbacks who get unhappy enough that they talk themselves off of their team. It would have happened and still will happen at one point with Deshaun Watson, were it not for his myriad legal troubles off the field. But I do think that there will come a time of reckoning at the end of this year, whether Russell Wilson will be a big, happy member of the family or whether he won't. Two and three, last place in the NFC West, the ultra-competitive NFC West where the Cardinals are 4-0 and and the Rams are 4-1. and We mentioned Russell Wilson. One of the reasons why the game got away from the Seahawks, although Geno Smith played very well, you got a better chance with Russell Wilson generally than you do with Geno Smith. Smith was playing because Russell Wilson banged his finger while encountering Aaron Donald. Now, you know, Aaron Donald usually is injuring his own quarterback's hand in practice, so I guess it's good that, you know, if you're going to injure a quarterback's hand, it not be your own. That finger was uh, not quite pointing in the right direction. They popped it back in. He tried to come back for one series. He threw one pass. It was obvious he couldn't continue. Geno Smith entered the game after that point. And this happens. You're throwing a ball forward. It happens. You got to throw the ball. You got to have a follow through. It's amazing it doesn't happen more often that your finger gets in the way of another player. And you see it gets that right there on the arm of Aaron Donald. And that that uh, knuckle is is uh, popped and the finger's put in the wrong way. And here's Pete Carroll after the game talking about Russell Wilson's finger injury. Because Russell wasn't able to finish the, uh, the second half. Um, he's got a badly sprained finger that, that you know, we need to figure out. Um, there's well, work to be done in, in, in assessing all of that. Uh, Russell's one of the great healers uh, in the, in, in, of all time, and, and he'll do whatever he can to get back as soon as absolutely possible. He's never missed a start in his entire 10-year career. He's only missed one snap of significance. He had knee and ankle injuries back in 2016. And I remember him saying at the time, they were coming to work on him at 3 a.m. at his house to get the knee and the ankle to the point where he could continue to play. And he never stopped. He never quit. And that's what will push him for the next nine days to be ready to go week six Sunday night football against the Steelers on NBC. He has the strongest will. And the problem is there's a point where will doesn't matter. If you can't grip the football, if you can't throw the football, if you have ligament damage, and we don't know at this point, but it's something that is going to hover over the NFL until next Sunday night because it could be Geno Smith and not Russell Wilson when the Seahawks face the Steelers, and it will be a couple of desperate teams, regardless of whether the Steelers win on Sunday against the Broncos. At best, they're 2-4. and four. Seahawks are 2-4. and four. It's an early season. Something's got to give game. You know, I remember in training camp this year going to Seattle, talking to Russell Wilson and said, I said to him, so you have played nine years in the NFL. Your team, since the day you were drafted, has played 160 games, including playoff games. 
you have started every one of those games. And I said to him, was there ever a time, ever one of those games where you came close to not playing? And after looking at me like I had three heads, he said, no, I, there was never a game that I didn't think I was going to play. And, you know, Mike, I, I, I mean, do you think he won't play a week from Sunday against the Steelers? No. I think the only way the only way he won't play is if they leave him behind and otherwise shut down the airport and he can't drive to Pittsburgh in time. That's the only way he won't yeah. play. That's the yeah, only he, way because he, he he'll, it, it, he'll 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 yeah. yeah the, the one other the one other thing about this there are some people who view that as the ultimate badge of honor. And I was there every day for my team, every time for my team. And now, the one thing Pete Carroll knows is that, okay, it's not going to be a debacle if we have to play Geno Smith. Geno Smith is a very nice NFL backup right now. After last night, that's exactly what I would think. But I would also think that this is our season on the line in this week going to Pittsburgh. And we've got to win this game. And so I would expect Russell Wilson will play. Well, and, and here's the reality. We don't know, and we probably won't know, the extent of the damage. We'll hear bits and pieces. We'll hear what they want us to know. They will keep close to the vest what's going on with that finger. But here's the scale. And every team has to do it. When the starter is anything below 100%, how far below 100 with the starter are you willing to tolerate versus a 100% backup? And it depends on who your backup is and what your backup can do. And like the Colts a few weeks ago, who are looking for every reason possible to never put Jacob Eason on the field, <laughs> they will take a 70% Carson Wentz, right? But if you got a 70% Russell Wilson, if you got a guy who can't grip and throw the football – the best deep ball thrower in the NFL, not able to throw the ball like he usually does, that's when you say, Russ, we love you. But there's a point where your badge of honor becomes a taint of selfishness that you want to be able right. to say, I never missed a game. There's a point where you have to say, no, it's better for the team if the other guy plays. And it will drive him crazy. Peter, I heard audible chants of Gino, non-sarcastic chants of Gino, Gino, multiple times last night. Hey, this is Russell Wilson's team. Don't get close to my throne. This is my team. I'm the guy. And he's not going to want to give Gino Smith a chance for those fans to welcome him back as the conquering hero who went to Pittsburgh and won. And, and that's the balance, helping your team win versus helping yourself continue to build your legacy. And it all comes down to whether or not he can grip and throw the football. It's the ultimate test. You know, hamstring, hey, I'm good. Ankle, yeah, I can do it. I'll make it. I can gut through it. If you just physically can't throw the football because of your injured finger, what, what can you really do? Yeah, and I think the one thing that you saw out of last night's game is I'm sure that, you know, Pete Carroll and Shane Waldron are going to get together when the despair emanating from last night's game uh, ebbs and they can start to think about next week and they can say, hey, listen, the one thing we do know right now is that it's not going to be 
an abject disaster if Geno Smith has to play in that game. You know, the other part of it, Mike, you know, that Geno Smith has always been the guy who, like so many other Jets quarterbacks over the years, you know, from Mark Sanchez to Sam Darnold and everybody in between and some before them, all feel like they got swallowed up by the poisonous atmosphere that has been the New York Jets. So Geno Smith, I'm sure, would tell you that, look, I, I never had a chance to really be a good long-term player for a normal NFL franchise. And, and look, everybody can make whatever judgment they would want to make about, well, that's his fault, whose fault, doesn't matter. You know, I think Geno Smith deep down feels like I never had a really fair shot at being a quarterback in the NFL. And I think that's why he would relish the chance to have a couple of games this year to sort of burnish his career and to try to make a little bit of, comeback, of a comeback to say at the very least that maybe he could be like, a Case Keenum type player, someone who a team would trust to be a backup who, if he had to play, they won't be worried about him. Well, but he has that in Seattle. The only thing is he's behind a guy who always plays. But, but we see yeah. why we see why last night he's still in Seattle because, Peter, I'm not going to shed tears for this guy. He's still earning an NFL paycheck, and he did have a chance in New York. And then wasn't there a time when he was – it was time for him to play and he wasn't ready to play or something like that. Remember the issue with his phone and he missed some. Yeah, yeah there was something. I'm going to have right. to look that up. But that was on him. That was on him. But he still continues to get employed year in and year out. And now some would think and say that he's the backup to Russell Wilson because he's completely non-threatening and they don't want to have a backup quarterback in Seattle that's going to push Russell Wilson. It's always compete except at the quarterback position where Russell Wilson is the unquestioned guy. But he's still, 10 years later, he's still in the NFL. And a lot of guys who got drafted back in 2013 are long gone. So, um, and, and yeah, he got his chance and he may get it nine days from now. And we'll, we'll see how he performs when a defense has a full week to get ready for. And that's fair enough. All I'm saying is that I think Geno Smith, all the years now, or whatever it's been, three years, whatever, that he has been in Seattle, you look at him and he has to feel like, uh, if I really had a chance, you know, with a, with a good NFL franchise, who knows what could have happened. And that, to me, is what last night was for Geno Smith. It was saying... I can play, I can play in this game, and I can play on a winning franchise and play well. Now, he had the bizarre little, you know, as you're going to see here in a minute, he had the bizarre little interception, you know, that that in many ways it was the classic, it wasn't his fault. Uh, but it, it is what it is. I just think, Mike, that right now, Geno Smith, I think, would relish an opportunity to have a real chance with a representative team, uh, and he may get that in nine days. And, and look, I agree with you. It was awesome last night when he had a chance to take the team down the field, and here's that fateful play. Tyler Lockett trips over his own feet. It happens. 
and the interception ends the game. We got one play. I was excited. 209 left, 84 yards, down six. Let's do this thing. And Tyler Lockett fell. And as Troy Aikman said, by the way, the I don't think Tyler Lockett tripped up, tripped over his own feet. Tyler Lockett got pushed and fell down. That's the way I saw that play. And I heard what they said on the on the game broadcast of it. That certainly didn't look like a guy getting tripped up by the turf monster. It looked like a guy who got shoved and then fell. And, you know, but whatever. It, it was a fluky play. The interception happened. Life goes on. But I would love to have seen what happened if that contact didn't happen with Tyler Lockett because... I think he would have caught the ball. Now watch this. He's coming across. That's not falling over his own feet. You know, there was contact made and he fell down from that contact, not because his feet tripped on the on the turf. I I there it is. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, if he fell down because of that contact, it's going to cause me to reassess all of the soccer flops that I see. I don't think that contact made him fall down. It may I don't know if there was contact with the leg as but he ran what by. What made him fall down? He but got he contacted top, by number 4 there. Right, but you're not going to fall down. That's if that's going to make him fall down, he has no business being in the NFL. You know, Mike, all I know is this. I've seen pass interference called on plays that were that had half the amount of contact of that. And I'm not even saying that should definitely have been pass interference. I think it should have been. He fell because of the contact on that play, no matter how light you might think it was. He didn't fall because he, he, he tripped over his own feet. It's possible. It's possible that he was interfered with up high and he did trip over his own feet low. And it's just a coincidence that the two things happened. I look at that and I say, that's a guy that just got his caught his feet caught and and maybe he got a leg that we can't see that I can't discern that they hit legs as he went by the defensive back but I I don't I don't know I regardless regardless Geno Smith had a golden opportunity and it wasn't his fault the interception is not on him although it is on him it goes in the record books as his interception I was ready for an exciting finish where he would take the team down the field he'd already driven 98 yards for a touchdown What's 84? And what's, that could have yeah, been what's one hell of a night. or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, it was 84. He's from his own 16. And uh, uh, I, that would have been great. So uh, now I don't know that Russell Wilson would have viewed it as great because they'd have been going nuts. They, they would have had another beast quake. It would have been a Geno quake. And by the way, by the way, I had forgotten this. Geno Smith is the answer to a New York trivia question that – that deals with his period of time between Jets and Seahawks. He is the guy who got the start when Eli Manning got benched by Ben McAdoo. Yeah, he did. And yeah. he didn't do much hey, with it. So and he got he got he got no, rebenched. He, yeah, he got rebenched. But look, Geno Smith is going to be a little uh, NFL Films biopic one day. He's had an interesting career and. And, and I just think there are a bunch of guys like Geno Smith who always end up thinking to myself or to themselves after their career, whether they admit it or not, I was a victim of circumstances. 
Well, and I think that happens to a lot of guys. Where you get drafted as a quarterback is a huge circumstance. Where you go to start your career. And you get in the right place with the right coaching staff, the right front office, the right teammates, the right ownership. You're going to be in a much better position than, than if you end up with one of the dysfunctional teams. Case in point, the quarterback that we talked about all of last week, Tom Brady. He lands anywhere else as a six-round pick. Who knows what he becomes? Matthew Stafford landed in Detroit as the first overall pick, and we saw what that did to him for 12 years. I'm still amazed he was able to tolerate it for 12 years. He had a finger injury last night, not nearly as bad as Russell Wilson's, where the finger was pointing the wrong way. They wrapped it. He played. He was fine. He says he popped the finger back in during the game, and he was good to go. 365 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Now, I I don't know that we need to be nearly as concerned about him being able to play next week as Russell Wilson, but still, we've seen a cocktail of injuries over the years for Matthew Stafford and things that we knew about, things we didn't know about. He always finds a way to fight through it as much as he possibly can and play. But the fact that he was able to finish last night and generate 365 tells me this one isn't nearly as big of a concern, Peter. I mean, he played too well in the second half to to think that it'll be a concern. And look, Matthew Stafford, I think now, looks at the team he has and says... I am never missing for a start for these guys. Look at look at who I have to work with. You know, look at these guys who I have to work with. And you know, I thought it was really interesting on the on the telecast last night. I thought it was a situation where thou doth protest too much of saying what a wonderful guy Robert Woods is and he would never complain about playing time. Uh and then after the game, I don't know if you saw it, but Woods admitted Woods admitted that he went to Sean McVay and said, how can I be more involved in the offense? You know, so to me, got it. I, I just we kept, have it. I, I just kept I just kept thinking to myself last night that that, you know, this they're saying this way too much. And now there's got to be something to it. <laughs> Let me set this up because I noticed it. I get all the transcripts from the coaches, the players, everything the teams make available. And I try to skim through all of them. And Sean McVay's transcript showed up on Monday, the day after the loss to the Cardinals. And you, you know, a lot of it's just fluff and filler. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I see the one about Robert Woods. Robert Woods, after he scored a touchdown against the Cardinals, kind of threw the ball away and walked back. And McVay down, oh, you know, he's just frustrated. We were losing. It's a meaningless touchdown. But I really got to work to get him more involved. I really got to get him more opportunities. And I started looking at the touches. God, everything's going to Cooper Cup. And here's Robert Woods, yeah. who's making $10 million next year, non-guaranteed. <laughs> and you're on a team that is so top-heavy with superstars. You're out the door if you're not earning your keep, and you're not earning your keep unless you're getting the football. And Troy Aikman last night, over and over again, he would never be – come on, yeah, football players aren't selfish. Come on, Troy, you played with Michael Irvin. Of course they want the football. And they're forcing it all night long to Robert Woods. It was laughable to me. The more Troy said it, the more they forced it to Robert Woods. And at the end of the day, he ends up with 14 targets, 12 catches, and 150 yards. Let's hear from Woods and McVay after the game. This week, uh, had, a little, had a little talk, just trying to, trying to get involved in the offense. Uh, me and McVay spoke, uh, said he was going to you know, give me some touches. I uh, was able to find the ball. You know, it was just one of those defense and those looks where we're able to just keep working. Me and Stafford was able to connect. It was one of those games where just keep getting open, keep getting my, my number called, and 
it's how the team works. You never know how, how the game goes and the, and the flows of our, our season goes. But uh, just always be ready and always expecting the ball. And um, today was my day. We were definitely trying to get him involved tonight. He delivered in a big way. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why he has a C on his chest. He's made the most of his opportunities that he's had the first four weeks. Tonight was an opportunity where he got 14 targets. He delivered on 12 of them. He's a stud. And uh, just love the way that he was instrumental in the win tonight. Sims and I were talking about this yesterday, Peter. You know, you got two different ways that this goes. One, you've got the plays that are designed to get the ball in the guy's hands. And the way that McVay designs it, it's getting in his hands. And then you've got the normal run down the field. Let's see who's open. Let's go through our progressions. But these receivers know where they land in the progression. They know whether or not plays are being called that have them as the first read, second read, third read, no read at all. They know that. And he was not... The guy, Cooper Cup, was the guy. Cooper Cup was the favorite receiver right out of the gates from Matthew Stafford, and Robert Woods had become forgotten. And yes, he said something about it. And I don't, I don't, I, you're right. They, they were so over the top on the broadcast, downplaying the idea that a wide receiver would want the football more. It really did become laughable. Coming into last night's game, in the first four games of the year, Cooper Cup had 46 targets. Woods had. 25 and Van Jefferson had 20. So you say to yourself after a while, th- this has been a one and one A offense, you know, with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, somewhere in that order. They've always been the guys who are going to get the ball. Uh, one of them will get it eight times in a game, the other five, and the next week it'll be it'll be opposite with the eight and five. But the only point I would make about this is that, look, Robert Woods is a great teammate. He's a great guy. I doubt sincerely he went to Sean McVay and pounded his fist on the desk. And he said, what the heck is going on here? I'm ticked off, blah, blah, blah. He said, hey, because he's a reasonable person and he's a team person. But he has to notice what's going on. That all of a sudden this offense in all ways, goes through Cooper Cup. And in the first four games of the year, Cooper Cup is, you know, he's obviously he's averaging 11 and a half targets a game. And, and Mike, the only thing I would say about this, just in terms of, and you talk about players in an offense and how, you know, they can be, uh, you know, if they're not getting the ball, they're going to be upset and all this other stuff. Yes, they'll be upset, but there are ways to be upset, in my opinion. And Robert Woods, I would bet a lot of money, did not make a big scene about this. I think Robert Woods basically just went to, you know, went to his head coach, and he said, "Hey, Sean, what's going on? Just let me know. I, I just I want to know what the expectations are." Blah blah blah. So you are right. Mike, the one thing that I can tell you about Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford is this. He knows that Matthew Stafford can distribute the ball the way that both of them want the ball to be distributed. So in other words, if they want a game, like last night clearly was a game, that they wanted Woods to be more involved in the offense. And... Sean McVay knows that all he has to do is communicate that to Matthew Stafford, and it will happen. And that's exactly what happened last night.
And it does get back to the business of football. We can't overlook it. We saw it happen to Jalen Smith this week when the Cowboys, thinking ahead to his injury guarantee for next year and realizing he could get injured and not wanting to have to owe him that money, they made a move to get rid of him. And with the Rams, you just look around at that roster. Look at all the star players they have. Robert Woods is not going to be there next year at $10 million. They're going to come to him and say, we want you to take less. If he's not generating in that offense, if he's not regarded as a centerpiece of the offense. And that's the philosophical question here, Peter, and you hit on it. Last year, it was 1-1A, one and Woods and Cup. Now... Before last night, it's Cup and Woods. And that's fine this year. But next year, when Les Snead and Sean McVay and anyone else are sitting down looking at the how are we going to allocate our dollars, that's when it becomes a very cold, dispassionate, heartless business. It's like, hey, we got to go to Robert and say, you want to stay on this team? We can't justify paying you. Look, we, we you're not as big of a part of the offense as you used to be. So he intervened at a time where he could change things. And he could say... I'm still an important, you know, show me I'm still an important part of this offense. Show me, show me. I'm not mad. Just show me. And, and he said everything he needed to say, Peter, if you go back and look at the clip of his touchdown catch against the Cardinals, the way he throws the ball aside, that was all, that was all he needed to say to Sean McVay to get his message across that what the hell's going on here? I'm either a big part of this team or I'm not. You know, I just looked it up. Mike, just, to 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 emphasize the one and one a last year Robert Woods 129 targets last year Cooper Cup 124 targets you would be very hard pressed to look at this team in the first month of the season and say something's really changed now McVeigh and everybody will say no nothing has changed everything is exactly the same numbers don't lie. 46 targets, 25 targets. Something has changed. Maybe it's that Matthew Stafford has gotten more comfortable with one guy over another. We're not going to know that. But I do think last night was a step in the right direction for a team that, you know, it was a very telling play last night, Mike. The play on the 68-yard reception by Deshaun Jackson. And the reason it was a telling play is because if you watch Deshaun Jackson in recent years, he always gets a flat tire at some point during the season. Always. And I think last night, that was Sean, Deshaun Jackson saying, I know my body. It's not important enough right now for me to take this ball, to try to take this ball to the house. Watch what he does right here. And you're going to see it at the end of this play. Well, you're not going to see it. But at he the pulls end up. of that play, He pulls play, up Deshaun and goes Jackson, out of bounds. Yeah, he just pulled up and went out of bounds, which yeah. I think is so smart by him because he knew that if he, went, if he went one more speed, okay, if he just went one more. Now, let's see if we see this to the end. Just yep, yep. Well, we, we're not going to see it. But 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 here's the point. Deshaun Jackson last night, pre- the most telling play of this game. Deshaun Jackson is saying, I love this team. I want to be a part of this team for 17 weeks. I'm not going to blow it. And you know what my role is on this team? Two of those plays every game. That's it. Yep. I'm not playing 48 snaps a game anymore. 
I'm playing maybe 20. And I think if Sean McVay has basically mentally figured out right now, look, this guy has a role, but it is a really important role. It's just a role that he's going to make an impact on two plays a game. And if we try to use them more than that, we're just not going to have them after October 10th or whatever, whenever it is. Football teams budget money, football shows budget time. We have to take a little more time than we were going to because I cannot conclude the discussion of last night's game without addressing the double punt. The double oh, punt. Oh, that's one of Something the greatest things I've seen ever seen. In years, if not ever. Do we want to hear from McVay first? Let's hear from McVay about it because everybody I think who's watching this show knows about the double punt. Let's hear from Sean McVay talking about the double punt and then we'll talk more about what happened or didn't happen or what should have happened on that play. My brain doesn't have the, uh, I don't have the brain power to be able to explain it, but basically what happened was because he kicked it still behind the line of scrimmage, they reviewed it in New York. They said his foot was still on the line, so he wasn't totally over the line of scrimmage. So they said he can do that. I said, you can kick the ball twice, huh? Uh, you know, I guess you learn something every night. Um, I'm confused about something. Okay, now look, look. Here's the thing. They reviewed it in New York. Why'd they review it in New York? It wasn't an instance where you'd have an automatic review. He's past the line of scrimmage, Peter, when he kicks that ball. And they can go yeah. Baghdad Bob on me all they want on Twitter and say, oh, it's a legitimate play because he was behind the line of scrimmage. He was not behind the line of scrimmage on the second kick. And, and it, why would they be reviewing it in New York? I could see and, – and look – I, if I knew at some point what the limits were of the replay assistant helping this year, I'd forgotten. And I'm going to have to look it up again and see if this was a legitimate instance for the replay assistant to help out. But New York should not be reviewing that play unless Sean McVay throws a red flag. And he didn't. And I think if he had, they would have seen, watch it here, scoops it up, hell of an athletic play. And and there, there's the, the line is behind his back foot. People think because the the official was there, see how the official kind of got his legs spread? They think the official's left foot is the line of scrimmage. It's not. The line of scrimmage is between his legs. The, the left leg there, when Michael Dixon kicks the ball, is beyond the line of scrimmage. So we finally hear from the league on a controversial officiating call this year, and they're trying to tell us 2 plus 2 is 5 because they're trying to tell us that that play is happening behind the line of scrimmage. It's not. Yeah. And when I saw this, Mike, first of all, I didn't know the rule. And it was hilarious because it's the first time that I've heard that Mike Pereira has sort of edited himself after the fact. And, and you know, here's a guy who is, who is, you know, to me, as expert as anybody I've ever heard about the rules. And this was, in fact, an incredibly confusing play. And I never knew that you could punt the ball twice if you were behind the line of scrimmage. I never knew that. Now, when the heck has it ever come up that you would have to know that? But I agree with you. I mean, to me, I don't know how you can justify that play being either at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. It did not look that way to me. And, and uh, you know, Pereira was confused initially because he thought you can't have two punts just like you can't have two forward passes. Once the first one gets batted back and caught by the quarterback or someone else, that's it. You can't do it again. But the, the way the rules written, and this is weird, Peter, 
you can have two punts as long as they both happen behind the line of scrimmage. I'm having a hard time envisioning a set of circumstances where the ball gets punted once, somehow makes it beyond the line of scrimmage, then somehow comes back behind the line of scrimmage and gets punted again. That's not permitted. But as long as it never crosses the line of scrimmage, it can be punted twice. I just It's odd to me that they would account for the possibility of that ball crossing the line of scrimmage and then somehow being back behind it and being punted again. But that's the rule. It can be punted twice as long as it never crosses the line of scrimmage and comes back and as long as the punter is behind the line of scrimmage for both punts. But that's the flaw here. And that's where McVay should have thrown the red flag. If they would have sent it to New York for a full-blown replay review, they would have seen that Michael Dixon was beyond the line of scrimmage. Full body, everything, just like with a quarterback throwing the ball, everything's got to be past the line of scrimmage. Everything was past the line of scrimmage. I'll say this about the play itself. I wonder if we could just run it one more time and we could show Michael Dixon picking up the ball. Because he basically picked up that ball with one hand. A spinning football. Somehow, someway, he picked that ball up with one hand. Look at that. How is that possible that you picked up a spinning ball with one hand? And after the game, somebody asked him about that. And he said, basically, that goes back to Australian rules football where which he played obviously before coming over to the US. The Seahawks did a great scouting job, found him. Now watch this. He picked the ball up. It was spinning and he picked it up with one hand. It was unbelievable. And then he punted it for 69 yards. Will somebody tell me if there has been a better individual play on special teams by one player in NFL history ever? I want you to tell me, think of a think of a play ever in NFL history that is a better play than that. It, it, and look, Mike, it's one of those things you know and I know that he was over the line when he kicked it. But, you know, whatever, it, it, it's going to go down in history as a 69-yard punt. And I'm just saying the three things that happened, the block punt, the pr- presence of mind to find the ball, picking it up with one hand, and then punting it for 69 yards is just, I just, I'm, I'm incredulous. And if the Rams had lost that game, that play would have loomed so much larger over today's discussion. The league got lucky right. that the Rams won that game, or there would be a lot more scrutiny applied to it. And again, just to, just to make this point, I've been very critical of the fact that the NFL has kept its head in the sand through all of the officiating controversies this year. They say nothing. I think their attitude has been, just let it go. It'll die down. We're not going to give any fuel to it by addressing it. They popped that tweet up last night just saying, without even addressing the possibility that maybe he was close to the line, maybe there was part of his body that was somehow not over the line. To say in conclusory fashion... The punter kicks the ball again from behind the line of scrimmage is a flat-out falsehood, inaccuracy, misrepresentation, lie. Whatever word you want to apply, it's not right. So silence, I think, Peter, is better than, than trying to make us believe something that our eyes would contradict. So, uh...
I, the NFL better get this right because something's going to happen in a big game. It's going to turn the outcome of a game, and they're going to have a mess on their hands. And I'm surprised they haven't had one yet. We need to take a break. When we return, Sunday Night Football, Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs. We'll get you ready for that here on PFT Live. Week five, you know, um, I would assume that they're thinking the same thing. Everybody wants to make this big deal about the AFC Championship rematch, and I get that's what it is, but it's a new year. And, you know, this team's different than last year, and their team's different than last year. Um, you know, they're, again, but they're the uh, kind of the gold standard of what you would want to be as an NF- or as an AFC team. You know, being to the AFC Championship the last three years and, um, you know, competing for Super Bowls is what they've been doing. You know, so that's what every team wants to be. Until somebody knocks them off in the playoffs, uh, that won't change. But again, this is week five. Um, it's the biggest game on our schedule, like I said earlier, because it's the next one, and uh, that's how we're approaching this game. Josh Allen, Bills quarterback, the latest top-level AFC quarterback who wants to try to show that his team can beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Just three weeks ago, it was Lamar Jackson and the Ravens who finally got past the Chiefs. Now the Bills try to do it on Sunday Night Football. A great, great game to follow the Sunday night game between Tom Brady and the Patriots. Josh Allen and the Bills. Peter, right now they are the only dominant team in the NFL, in my view. I know they lost to the Steelers, but since then they have had two shutouts in three weeks. They have blown out everyone they've faced. They have been unstoppable, and they go into a place in Kansas City where the Chiefs have been vulnerable. This is their chance to show that they can beat the Chiefs, and it should be a great game with two of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. Yeah, and Mike, I'll tell you the one thing, Josh Allen, and understandably, I would play it down to, because last year in the two games that he played against Patrick Mahomes, he lost by 14 and 9 points. He completed 56% of his passes to Patrick Mahomes' 78%. And the Buffalo Bills were never ahead in the second half of either game. And they've got whatever anybody would say about this. They have questions to answer. No matter how hot they are right now, whatever. But until they beat the Kansas City Chiefs, those questions are going to be are going to continue continue to be asked and Josh Allen is going to have to have an answer for the people asking those questions and and look nobody in his own locker room is doubting Josh Allen nobody but so far right now the Kansas City Chiefs have been the dangerous team that Josh Allen has not been able to conquer and so I'm talking about just in general when the games are at their most important. Last year, he had two chances. He went 0 for 2. This is a big game for Josh Allen. The regular season game last year was weird. It was one of those postponed from Sunday to 5 o'clock right. Eastern time on a Monday. Double header, raining, windy, nasty, no fans in Buffalo. And it, it was just kind of a sluggish blah kind of a game. The AFC Championship is the more true test, but even then the Chiefs took care of them and that, that lasting image of Stephon Diggs out there watching the Chiefs celebrate their championship. Yeah, they're determined to get back there and get to the next level, and one way to do it is to go to Kansas City and beat the Chiefs. And the Chiefs have struggled this year uh, 
in a couple of ways. Their defense is horrible, first. And second of all, their offense has been too impatient. I spoke to Patrick Mahomes after they beat the Eagles, and he said, we're trying to be patient. We're trying to establish the run. They don't have a viable weapon beyond Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. They get Josh Gordon this week. Mahomes is thrilled and extremely excited about what Josh Gordon can do in that offense. That may be a way to to boost things a little bit more, but that the offense has to be in overdrive if the defense can't stop anybody. That's really going to be the key here, Peter. The, the Bills may just go up and down the field all night long because the Chiefs' defense has become a real liability. You know, everybody in Kansas City better temper their excitement about Josh Gordon because there's just there's absolutely no guarantee um, to a player like Josh Gordon who has been suspended for substance abuse six times, who has walked away from teams two other times uh, because of it. And look, you know, there's no there's no guarantee for what could happen here. He's an exciting player when he's right. But how often has he been right? And I'm not trying to be Mr. Wet Blanket here, but what I am trying to say is that this is a Hail Mary by Andy Reid and Brett Veach. Maybe it'll work. Sometimes Hail Marys work, but most often they don't. Yeah, but Peter, it's one thing for Johnny Foam Finger to say he's excited about Josh Gordon. When Patrick Mahomes is effusive in his praise of Gordon, how hard he works, how good he is, that's when you start paying attention. That got my attention. What he is Russell and Wilson and Tom about Brady Josh and every? What's Russell Wilson and Tom Brady said about Josh Gordon? They loved him. All I'm they saying is, I know they absolutely know. And, loved him. And and, and Patrick and, Mahomes has known him for ten minutes. I, mean, I know. You know. So what? Of course, he's going to be excited about him. He's well, he's his lifeline. <laughs> but and and I don't want to get started on my usual rant about how the NFL needs to get out of the business of policing what players do in their private lives when it isn't anything that's infringing on the rights of others and these aren't PEDs that guys are taking and and the guys who got lost in the shuffle when they revamped the substance abuse policy and basically decriminalized marijuana it's like oh oh we forgot about Josh Gordon and Martavis Bryant and Randy Gregory and Justin Blackman and all the other guys who have been indefinitely suspended all the old rules still apply to them that it just it's it, it's unfair and it's unfortunate and i know at some level Josh Gordon has responsibility for what He's he's been through, but at the same time, I look at it and I say, why the hell does the NFL care? The NFL has deprived itself of a highly talented player who could have been playing a lot of football over the past 10 years and making the game better and creating more excitement. And Patrick Mahomes is excited. I don't care how long he's known him, Peter. I heard it in his voice. I, I mean, and, and I don't think it's BS. He he is thrilled by the prospect of having this guy, six foot two, bust his ass in great shape at a time when you got Hill and Kelsey and and who's going to step up? No one has stepped up. Hardman hasn't stepped up. Pringle hasn't stepped up. Robinson hasn't stepped up. This is the kind of thing that can that can really help open up the passing game for the Chiefs if he can comply with the league's draconian thou shalt only have in your body what we say, even if it's not a PED. If he can comply with that going forward, then you know he'll be around and he can make a big difference. Josh Gordon has played 63 games in his career. He's been suspended for 63 games in his career. And a lot of people have loved Josh Gordon over the years. Whether the rules are fair or unfair, they're the rules. And if he can, uh, if he can comply with them, Kansas City, there's a good chance they've got a, a better than number two receiver to, to help Tyreek Hill. But 
Mike, it's happened over and over and over again. So to me, I'm glad they're excited. Good. And you know what? Andy Reid, uh, I'll, I'll say this for this whole situation. All right. So Andy Reid, uh, I'll never forget when they brought Michael Vick onto their team in Philadelphia. And there were massive protests and, and all that. And Andy Reid understands uh, basically huge problems in life. You know, he's been dealing with them uh, ever since, basically ever since his kids were adults. But I do give credit for people giving guys a chance. But I just don't think that, you know, you can, you can think that this is going to last based on history. If it does, yeah. it will be a sure sign that Josh Gordon has, has turned his life around and uh, he has basically been able to get rid of the demons that have bothered him over the years. The reality is there's so much discretion that gets applied in some of these situations. How many chances do they want to give a guy? How lenient are they going to be? How much of this fathers know best, a father knows best BS are they going to continue to cram down the throats of players? I just hope that, that he gets a fair chance, that he gets to stick around, that there is some understanding because ultimately at the end of the day, whatever substance it is that he's been taking over the years, and you hear all sorts of different things about this, they're not PEDs, and he still can perform at a high level. 2013, I know it's been a long time ago, but in 2013, he played in 14 games. And in those 14 games, with quarterbacks that consisted of Jason Campbell, Brandon Whedon, and Brian Hoyer, he generated more receiving yards in those 14 games than Randy Moss or Terrell Owens ever did in a single season in their entire career. So the guy's got potential, he's got talent, and it's a damn shame we haven't seen him for more than 63 games. And I just hope we see him for the next 13 games of the regular season and into the postseason for a variety of reasons. I hope he gets his chance. He just turned 30, and I hope he gets his chance. Um, Peter, all that said, look, as I said earlier, the Bills are the dominant team right now in the NFL, but the Chiefs are 2-2. and The panic button has kind of been pressed. They're not where they want to be. we've been blessed with some great primetime games. This could be a great one. This could have a playoff feel to it because, you know, if if either of these teams has designs on the one seed, you you better win this game on Sunday night. Right, because there's a very good chance that these two teams are going to go down to the end uh, with similar records. And look, you know, what we don't think about right here, Mike, right now, is that if Kansas, as much as everybody is in love with Buffalo this week, I'll just tell you this. Everybody was equally in love one week ago today with the Rams. And then the Rams get handled by the Cardinals. And all of a sudden, they're yesterday's great team. Now, today's great team is Buffalo. If the Buffalo Bills lose to Kansas City on Sunday... There are three wins, two losses. The exact same record as Kansas City, which we have spent the first month of the season day after day after day saying, man, what's wrong with Kansas City? Why aren't they the dominant team that they were? What's wrong? Well, you know, they're a home game. They're a home win on Sunday away from being the Bills equal. And more than being the Bills equal, they will have the tiebreaker over the Bills And they will also have the who's your daddy advantage 
over the Bills. <laughs> because even when Buffalo is better, perceived by everybody as being better than Kansas City, they still can't beat them when they know that there's so much on the line. So that's why this is a very big game Sunday. Yeah, and uh, looking forward to it. And again, a great season so far of primetime games, and hopefully it continues on Sunday night. When we continue, we're going to rip through some of the other games to be played week five of the 2021 NFL season. More Pro Football Talk Live right after this. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Look, this is a great player. Uh, he was a great player when, you know... When I last saw him in person, we were on the same team. He's a great player now. Um, smart, great command of the offense, uh, accurate, um, can find the space in the pocket. Uh, I mean, I think he's playing great, great football right now. I have you know, a lot of respect and admiration for Tom. Uh, you know, we were on the same team for 15 years. I learned a lot from him, for sure. So, uh, you know, great to see him, great to compete against him. Um, so, a lot, a lot of respect and admiration. From a coach he competed with for 20 years to a coach he competed with for 15 years, Tom Brady trades Bill Belichick for Brian Flores. And the Dolphins, look, 23-12 and 12 is Tom Brady's all-time record against the Dolphins, which means he's lost to the Dolphins. 12 times. This is a sneaky, fascinating game to the extent that the Bucks are coming off of that, that big Sunday night game that felt like a mini in-season Super Bowl. All the injuries they have in the secondary. The Dolphins are struggling right now. They're getting desperate. The, the Bucks better be, they better be ready for this one because it, it, could, it could fall apart for them if they're not careful. Totally agree. And Mike, let me take you into what happened to me Sunday night in Foxborough. So after the hugely emotional Patriots-Bucks game, I waited, waited, waited down in the, in the tunnel 
Um, and I picked off a couple of guys, Clyde Christensen, the longtime quarterbacks coach of the Bucks, and and obviously I waited for Blaine Gabbard uh, to talk about what the week had been like with Brady. And then I waited for Brady, as did about 100 other people, stadium workers, uh, a few Patriots people, um, some old friends from Foxborough, everybody just waiting there. And Mike, I, I spent five minutes with him, no more. So it's hard to make an absolute definitive judgment. But I thought when I left Tom Brady, I said that is the most fatigued that I've ever seen him. Ever after all these games he played, including the AFC Championship game in Kansas City, when he was kind of slumped at his locker and just totally spent. But he was mentally and physically spent after that game against the Patriots. And my one thought was I went back up and I looked at the schedule who are they playing this week, and I said, Ah, they're playing Brian Flores. And look, I'm not saying that Miami is going to win this game. I just happen to think that you can't ask, no matter how great Brady is, no matter how he is, he has basically stood the test of time and he's still playing at this level when he's 44 years old. At some point, the mental and physical uh, stuff that Tom Brady has gone through, particularly last week, which was absolutely exhausting. All I can say is if I had to play Tampa Bay, I would want to play them after that game last week. And, you know, Peter, let me just say this real quickly. we got to move on to the next game. But you, you, you said something that, that kind of crystallized a thought that I've had this season. And I feel like this season it's, it's more significant than ever because we have a 17th game. But when you look at... Each week, every game, the level of physical exertion, the mental involvement, the emotional toll in one game. And we've seen some exciting primetime games that feel almost like postseason. They got to do that over and over and over and over 17 times. And it never really hit me like it did this year. And maybe it's this glut of, of games that feel like they're highly significant in September and early October. And it's like, man, we still got a long way to go. How in the world do these guys keep it going week in and week yeah. out? And the team that is best able to keep 53 guys physically, mentally, and emotionally able to keep going, that's the team that's going to emerge as the Super Bowl contender. It's why there should never have been a 17-game schedule and there should never be an 18-game schedule, period. End of story. It is greed on, on, on the part of the owners and on a part of the league. That's all there is to it. And it shouldn't have happened. And a pox on the NFL's house if they ever go to 18 games. Oh, they're going to go to 18. You know that, Peter, because the gambling side of it means we need more inventory. How do we get more inventory? We get more games. And once they get to 18 games, that's when I believe we're going to start hearing about 34 teams, maybe 36 teams, maybe 38 teams before it's all said and done. Packers and the Bengals, both 3-1. and one. The Packers had that weird what-the-hell-happened week one against the Saints in Jacksonville. The Bengals have looked very good this year. They get a couple of extra days to rest. This is a great test for Joe Burrow, who has been phenomenal. He's won two games by himself by changing plays. And uh, 
Yeah, the Packers. The Packers had better be as focused as they were against the 49ers if they want to go to Cincinnati and win this game. Totally agree. And look, Mike, I said it at the beginning of the year, and I said it after last after last week's game. Even though that it, it was a it, shaky performance for 60 minutes over a Jacksonville team that is not very good, obviously. Joe Burrow, to me, is this generation's Dan Fouts. He is going to play some games and win some games 38-35. I will not be shocked if they win this game 38-35. But he's going to win some games that you say, oh my God, Cincinnati had no business winning that game. And the reason is because he can take a team on his back. And Mike, you saw that NFL Films thing. They had him mic'd up. And he basically is going down the field and he goes, don't zero me. In other words, you send a zero blitz against me, I will kill you. And he did in that game to CJ Uzoma. I mean, you saw exactly what happened when they tried to send the zero blitz. And what I love about Joe Burrow is, you know, look, he gets in front of the cameras and he's nice and he's polite and he's a good guy. But you know what he is? He's a trained killer. Stone cold killer. Yep. He is a trained killer, man. (laughs) And I am just going to love watching him over the next 15 years. It's going to be so much fun. And he he knows who's coming to town. He knows it's Aaron Rodgers. This is his chance to show Aaron Rodgers. I mean, look, we all want to find the approval of people who have done what we do at a high level before us, and he gets a chance. Everybody in the stadium knows what he can do. Everybody on his sideline knows what he can do. This is his chance to show Aaron Rodgers what he can do. And that's going to motivate Joe Burrow. And you're right. He does it with a smile on his face and a song in his heart. And he's a nice guy, but stone cold killer. And he will get you. And he's got that, that swagger, that arrogance that isn't off-putting that allows him to take his team to the heights he's taken it early this year. Three and one, still early. But, and uh, Peter, it, it was, again, snap your fingers. And we were worried about whether or not he was going to be healthy whether or not he was going to be seeing ghosts around his left knee. He put all that to bed the first week of the regular season. Yeah. (laughs) He put it to bed in the first series. Look, Mike, you know, there are so many good young quarterbacks. And it's ridiculous to try to just say, if I say, oh, Joe Burrow is a top five quarterback. Uh, You know, that's what he's going to come out of this year as a top five quarterback. I mean, you could say that about 15 guys. I mean, there are just so many really good quarterbacks under the age of 26 right now it's an embarrassment of riches for the nfl one guy who is not a top five quarterback currently is ben roethlisberger the pittsburgh steelers seems uh, things are not going well for pittsburgh right now they're one and three they're zero and two at home the broncos come to town teddy bridgewater practiced on thursday he's got to get through the various protocols and approvals in order to return from the concussion that he suffered against the ravens on sunday it's either going to be him or drew Locke. This is desperation time for Pittsburgh, Peter. And I've been in and around Pittsburgh almost my entire life. This feels like a game that however they do it, whatever the scenario, whether the defense scores three touchdowns, whether they have a touchdown on a fake field goal, whether they have a block punt like they did against Buffalo, no matter what a liability the offense is this just feels like a game that the Pittsburgh Steelers muster the will to win because they have to 
You know, nothing about Ben Roethlisberger, if you look at this clinically, is absolutely horrible. You know, nothing about it. I mean, he's he's been just a, a average, he's been a below average quarterback this year, but it's not like he's throwing three balls a game to the other team. But what you've seen is the inability of him to adjust behind a shaky offensive line. And you've also seen a running game, Mike. And look, <clears throat> the reason why I don't want to put Ben Roethlisberger all to blame for this is for a very simple reason. What did the Pittsburgh Steelers say a <clears throat> hundred times in this offseason? They said, we will have a running game in 2021. We will finally be able to run it. <clears throat> and Mike, they're running it worse than they ran it a year ago. It doesn't matter whether they picked up Najee Harris, you know, totally did a facelift of their offensive line. That doesn't matter. What matters is that they're actually running it worse than they did when it was the worst year in the Mike Tomlin reign last year. And Peter, Sims and I have been talking about this a lot, and we've come to the conclusion that the only way to save this is to, to basically don't let Ben put himself in a position where he thinks he's the guy he was eight years ago who can extend plays with his feet. Those highlights we show, it's, right. it's almost sad. He's not the guy who can run away from pressure. He gets dragged to the ground. The clock moves faster than it ever has. You have to establish the running game. You have to run it and run it and run it and make him basically into a game manager where he's just not getting in the way of what the team otherwise is built to do or should be built to do, which is run the ball and play great defense. That defense is good enough that if the offense isn't screwing things up, they're going to be in every game, just like they were in Buffalo. I think so too, Mike. And the one thing I would say about Roethlisberger, and it comes back to the offensive line, when you have a quarterback who's playing with cement shoes, you better have a very good offensive line. They have a poor offensive line. He's, he's way too close to the Three Rivers to be wearing cement shoes. I know that. All right, Bears and the Raiders. Uh, a, a sneaky, intriguing game. They played a couple of years ago, and the Raiders upset the Bears because the Bears were coming off of a division title. This time around, the Bears are the underdogs, although they're 2-2. Two and two. For all the sky is falling in Chicago, they've still won half of their games, and now we finally have what everyone has wanted from the moment Justin Fields was drafted. He's the guy. Will it matter against a team like the Raiders, which is 3-1? and one, But Peter, in, in three games, the Raiders have been down 14-0, 14-0, 21-0. If they have another slow start, the Bears could build a lead and then just clamp down on them with that defense. Yeah, but the difference is this is not the same offense that the Raiders have been facing you know, in the last three weeks. And, and look, this really it, it strikes me as sort of delicious irony for Khalil Mack. You know, to be able to come in and to, in essence, drive one of the final, final nails in the coffin of this era of the Chicago Bears, which I'm sure is how he is looking at it. You know, I think he takes great joy in basically saying, you know, when he looks at these games, that he really wants to win this game so badly uh, because he wants to be able to beat the team that didn't have enough faith in him. You know, so I look at this game and I basically say, 
the underlying thing in this game is you know, what Khalil Mack is going to show on the field because to me he is he's such an important player in this game and he has to play great in this game for the Bears to win and and what I what I mean by that is he needs to torment you know the the offense of the Las Vegas Raiders because if you look at the way this game is going to be played Las Vegas has the far better offense right now and so almost as important in this game as Justin Fields is in my opinion Khalil Mack has to be as impactful in this game to our friends who watched the show on Sky Sports, our producer Courtney did carve out some time for us to talk about the game that will be played at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Falcons-Jets. But we talked too much, so that got thrown overboard. But I do know this from hearing from the folks who watch us on Sky. They don't care who's coming. They're just thrilled to have an NFL game. They're so passionate about it. They will take Jets-Falcons. They'll take anything, and we appreciate the passion that the folks have there for the NFL. Let's take a break. When we return, who's it going to be for the 49ers on Sunday when they take on the unbeaten Cardinals, Jimmy G or Trey Lance? We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. What's your take on, you know, picking up that record when the game is essentially over? And there was some back and forth. I, 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 I'm... Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.